Hi, I'm Leslie Adamas, and welcome to Race Forward, a weekly podcast on God and race relations. This is a progressive, faith-filled conversation that will anger you, encourage you, and equip you. Thanks again for joining us today. You picked a great day to listen in. Well, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Race Forward, God and Race Relations. As always, we got my brother A. Chuck Allen in the house with us. And my brother Mauricio Manessas in the house. Y'all say what's up to the people. Hey, everybody. Que tal? What's up, people? You did yeah, not yeah. just say hey, pasa, did you? Is He's that what you said? trying to copy you, man. Yeah, I did. I did. I think he did. You know, I, I wish I was cooler. I'd give anything if I was cool enough to say hey, pasa, and it would actually make sense and not sound like somebody from Hey Hira, Georgia, trying <laughs> to speak Spanish in 101 or something. Man, you've made that phrase famous, man. You've made that phrase famous. Look, Miles told me the story. No, actually, Miles' wife told me the story about how she heard him say hola one day, and that was it for him. And all I need is is a few words in Spanish, man. I'm telling you. Powerful words. (laughs) Well, shoot. Well, guys, look, this week we have been on track with talking about the most segregated time of day, and that's the church's influence on race relations now we've looked at the log in our own eyes and our own cultures the last two weeks and uh this time we're looking at the log in the eye of the church and so uh before we even get off to that chuck what what you got for us man i know you are the master of the light funny segments kick us off before we get deep Okay, so the question is, did you just say that I'm the master of the white funny segment or the master of the light funny segment? Because all of a sudden, I felt like I just got my hand slapped. Which one is it? I definitely said L-I-G-H-T. Oh, oh, okay. I'm just making sure. You know, I'm a little sensitive today, so I'm just making sure. So here's what I really think we ought to talk about for a minute. Before we get down to things where people get, you know, intense and weirded out, I want to know, Mal, what is something that is a fun memory of your growing up in the local church? Because we all have weird stuff that happens. I mean, I have weird crap happen to mm. me all the time at church. Mm. Mm. Man, I, I, I don't know that I can tell you a fun memory. I can tell you a funny memory uh, that happened to me. I was sitting That's in, close in, enough. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting in, in the pews, you know, back in the day. I was probably six years old, and I remember I fell asleep during the sermon and I fell on my head and instead of people around me getting worried, the preacher came all the way down from the pulpit. I thought he was coming to my rescue, but he picked me up, popped me on the head. And then he used me as an example saying, this is what you're not supposed to be doing in the church. And then he reprimanded my parents. So as soon as that, we got home, I got another spanking. So yeah, that's fun. So you, so you grew up in one of those grace filled churches, right? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Karan. So, uh, you grew up in a predominantly African-American church, right? I sure did. And so, and so like, how long were the services that you attended? White people come to church for more than about an hour and five minutes, man. You hit 65 minutes and white people are like, I got to get out of here. I got to go Captain D's. Are we still talking about stereotypes? (laughs) Look, man, look, by the time you get to Captain D's, we just started passing the plate around for the first part. So so tell me something fun that happened or funny, as uh, Mal said, it happened in growing up in church with you. Uh, growing up in church, I'm the kind of guy who I just don't like oil, but man, at a black church, if you ain't got no oil in the front, 
it's something missing and somebody going to the grocery store to pick something up, pray over it on their way back so they can know <laughs> every head in the entire building. And so there you, go. you walk up there to that front and they slap that oil on your <laughs> head and I tried to wipe it off one time. Man, you would have thought I was Satan himself. Yeah, you can't be doing that. That's no, wrong, man. You, you, can't, you can't be doing that. Well, I, I, grew you, up, dude, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Now, let me just be clear here. So I was born in Daytona Beach, First Baptist Church, Daytona Beach, Florida. But as an infant, my parents moved us to Rhode Island. Okay, so the big difference, Daytona Beach and North Kingstown, Rhode Island, right? So I, I grew up in my elementary school days at Green Meadow Baptist Church in uh, North Kingstown, Rhode Island. I can remember at least a dozen times my mom grabbing me by the wrist and dangling me where my toes could barely hit the floor as she would walk me from the front aisle mm. all the way out the backside of the church. And I guarantee you it was mm. all I could do to keep from wailing because my mom would beat the stew out of me for not behaving in church. That's what I remember about church. I'm amazed I'm a pastor today. <laughs> not many of my childhood experiences in churches do I remember as either fun or worthwhile. I mean, we we did this. We went Sunday morning for Sunday school, then church, right? Then you went back for training union or like, well, I used to go to this thing called RAs, worst hour of my life every week. And then you did Sunday night church, right? And then you usually had stuff, a fellowship or something stupid like that after church. Then you went back Wednesday early. And then you listen to this. I had to go to kids choir. I would rather have a of chlorine than go to kids choir. (laughs) And so church for me didn't get to be fun until I hit about 30. Boy, it's a good thing you love Jesus because you got no a lot kidding. to say about that. <laughs> I church. love Jesus, but the church I grew up in, dude, I'm I'm not sure yeah. Jesus showed up there. I believe it, man. We we all had a ton of different experiences growing up in the church, and we did a lot of things wrong together. Uh, but one of the things, man, and just to transition here, one of the things, rather you went to a Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, Iglesia de Jesus. One of the things we all dropped the ball on was race relations, y'all. Boy, no kidding. uh, Yeah, let's let's take a look at some, like, church history or church influence or Christian, if you will, influence on race relations over the history. Chuck, tell us a little bit about, like, church influence during segregation. Yeah, so if if you go back, uh, at least in my history, you go back to the early days of the civil rights movement and early days of – of what became the civil rights movement. I mean, we're talking about <clears throat> pre, uh, pre-emergence of Dr. King really bursting on the scene. There was, in, 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 the, in the churches I grew up in, which were uh, overwhelmingly white, there was lip service given to uh, civil rights. In other words, there was lip service where you would say the right Christianly things, but honestly, most of what I was taught was that civil unrest, in other words, anything that protested against something like civil rights was considered civil unrest. And it was spoke of almost in such a such a horrible way that mm. as a kid, you you were basically being told that, you know, those folks ought to be grateful that they get to live in the greatest country in the world and shut up and suck it up and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not trying to be overly critical of the churches I grew up in. It's just the simple fact that I think we used a lot of um, I think we lose, used a lot of Christianly words 
and we and, and we were complicit by being complacent. In other wow. words, we, there was no way that a church that I grew up in would ever get involved in something that people would consider civil unrest, which was simply mm-hmm. saying, wait a minute, I why do I get treated still like I'm a slave, but it's here in the 70s? You know what I mean? Wow. Oh, yeah. And that's huge because, you know, as a believer, we would expect that we would be in the very front of the line when trying to fight for people's equality. Um, And I find it interesting even more that, you know, during that time period, you still had believers on both sides. You know, you had the ones who would just not do anything or perpetuate it. And then you had guys like Billy Graham, who at times was told, it's been told about him that at times there were people who wanted to segregate his, um, his assemblies and he would pull down the ropes and he said, you know what? If I, if if we gonna have these ropes up, I'm not gonna preach here. And so you got believers on both sides who one perpetuates it, and the other. So sees I have a story about that, the Quran, um, What you that, got? So, uh, so I'll never forget. I uh, my my grandfather on my mother's side was a Wesleyan Methodist circuit preacher, right? Mm-hmm. But I can remember him telling us sitting at a dinner. I was a little boy, but mm-hmm. I can remember him talking about. Um, the evils of Dr. Billy Graham. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was, it was because that Billy Graham took that, that action. And, you know, when I, when I think about that, that is what I mean by complacency. He would have never Mm. said that from a pulpit somewhere. He would have given some lip service, but there's never any activity that would have come yeah. by this. And the simple fact that the, the concept of speaking to race, in particular, the injustice of it, it, it was, I, I, I cannot say this loud enough, it, it was complacency that, that we were complicit with. It was just, let's, let's turn our head and maybe it'll go away. Mm. You know what? And, and I believe, man, to be honest, like the roots of that deferring opinion between Christians there like are rooted even back earlier than that in that time period. For example, like the church's influence on slavery was massive, y'all. Like yeah. I don't know if y'all know yeah. about literally the the uh, Sir John Hawkins, uh, the first slave ship captain to bring African slaves to America, called his ship Jesus, right. and he was known to be a quote unquote great Christian. Man, and so like when slaves got here, robbed of their background, robbed of their history, robbed of their native tongue, robbed of their um, their religious pursuits, uh, were being now manipulated with a false version of the gospel. It was a version of the gospel that says that you are supposed to be my slave, yet Jesus is good, he is love, and you're going to worship him. And so as you could imagine, like these slaves here— were who could not read um were being taught the bible by people who wanted to keep them enslaved so that's a that's a person who is supposed to come to god to experience his goodness that they now come to a god who thinks less about them than he does about the other person mm-hmm. and then in that same movement you have a believer by the name of Nat Turner who goes uh, he, who's infamous now because of the way he took the Bible and, for example, was so felt so, you know, oppressed by what he was feeling from slave owners and not it not lining up with what he was reading in the text. So when he went to preach, he started to now preach a 
slaves, you ought to revolt now because you're supposed to be free. And so you have two people who are supposed to be having a Christian influence on the world, having a different perspective that's causing a tension there. And so like this, uh, this influence, if you will, of the church, man, it goes all the way back then. And so, of course, there's some things that we see back then that affect right now. Mal, let me come at you real quick. Like, mm. Mal, what do you think are some church influences right now that are perpetuating racism? I, I mean, let me let me speak about just influence altogether. I, people just got to stop. Church has to stop mixing race with sin. You know, mm. I, I am a brown man. God made me brown and I love it. So I'll never apologize for being brown. You know, it, it, color, it, 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 it's just, man, what really saves people is Jesus. Jesus came for all and saves all. So the only way that the church can influence correctly is to love like Jesus and reach people for their spiritual need. I, I you know, if you read the Bible, people would come to Jesus because they thought they had a, a physical need. And but what Jesus would do is turn to them and say, "Your sin is forgiven. Right. Go on." You know, that he would forgive uh, their spiritual need. But after healing them. You know, their physical need, he would say, go on and sin no more. So the church, man, I think that to influence correctly, uh, we our sin needs to be forgiven. We need to ask for forgiveness um, because we we are, uh, I think, just sending the wrong message by pointing fingers at people before before we love. And and I think that there needs to be a revaluation on how we're influencing, because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I look at the church, I look at us as Christians, and I'm ashamed of what the church is doing and more so about what it's not doing, because that's also a sin, if that makes any sense. No, actually, Mal, I think this, it goes along with what I was talking about in the complacency. You know, I mean, the complacency is is what we're complicit of. And I think the question that pushes us a little bit is, so how does the modern church actually change that and what steps do we take as a church, not as a church, but the church and at a church? How, what are the steps we take to ensure that we don't continue to turn a, a deaf ear, turn a blind eye? And most importantly, how, how do we say, OK, Jesus loves you, but hey, we're going to treat you different because you're brown right. or you're black. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. know, this, I found this uh, interesting. Karan, you sent me a link not long ago uh, that had a poll that said, in public opinions, a clear pattern has emerged. White Christians are consistently more likely than whites who are religiously unaffiliated to deny the existence of structural racism. I believe that's an absolutely true statement. So what is it that the church must do to dismantle these Christian influences or lack of influence, as Mao said, on racism? And I guess I'd start with you, Kron. What what do we do as yeah. believers? What do we do as a local church to start uh, engaging this for the cause of Christ? Bro, I'll tell you what, man. The first thing we got to do is clear up the gospel, right? Because mm. that's our why. That's our yeah. passion. That's the... Mm -hmm. the and everything from bitch, what we stand on, what we say, and who we are, man. And, and one thing to know is true about the gospel is that the gospel is family oriented. You know, God yeah, created us, He adopted us, He engrafted us, He joined us together with Christ, He calls us sons and daughters. Like it's family oriented. All throughout Chris uh scriptures, you see that God who Christ called tells us to call daddy uh, or Abba, if you will has clear intentions that we are to be a part of his family. Yeah. You know, a family 
you form close bonds through proximity. Like you're sport, you're forced to spend that time with each other and work through the differences when it's done correctly. Like you grow together when it's done correctly until life's final breath. Like, so if we look at God's example, he is very much so, I mean, he very much so could have walked away from our relationship with us when we did him wrong. But he didn't. Yeah, so, so with that in mind, that. though, uh, I mean, with that in mind, Karan, I guess the thing that 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 hits me about all three of us trying to address this is this thought of how do you separate um, and how do, how do you literally divorce hmm. politics from our faith life or or more hmm. importantly, I guess, in our structured faith life? How do you hmm. how do you separate those Man, or, I mean, or do you? I guess maybe that's the question. Do you? Yeah, I, I I think you do. Let me take a swing of that one. I think politics will always be politics, and they always have been. Uh, and, and religion will always be religion. I think that where they meet is in appearance. It, it makes me, it drives me nuts that a lot of people understand that being Republican is equal to being Christian or Ouch. being Democrat is, is equal crazy. to you know to to being Christian. Man, in in human terms, it's all about appearance. You know what you look like you're doing or what you look like you believe in, but. When both of these, um, when the, both of these things, politics and religion, they focus in a relationship with the Lord and with others, then and only then, um, then it will be a church influence in society in the way in which it was mm-hmm. originally intended. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but if if you just want influence through politics by pointing fingers and the same thing through religion, man, religion is gonna is not gonna take you anywhere. Focus in Jesus. That's yeah. what's gonna make yeah. you take a step forward. You know? Yeah. You know. So Quran, I know you got to get to wrap us up our time's getting short to wrap up this this segment but uh, i i guess this one thought sticks in my head and it it probably more controversial than i intended honestly but that is i feel like religion and politics are the same thing i feel like jesus is a whole nother there you You go you know it's like to me it feels it feels like Mm -hmm. politics is i tell people what they want to hear so i get them to agree with me it sounds exactly like the pharisees to me yes sir Mm -hmm. i feel like like religion and politics are the same thing it's the i mean it's the same blood and that's why i think jesus comes to give us a blood transfusion that says politics is not your answer no more than religion is your answer i'm your answer and free, isn't baby. it funny Ooh. that a uh, isn't it funny that a Middle Eastern man came as God to square up white, brown, black perspectives to say, okay, this isn't about Biden and Trump for goodness' sake. This is about mm. getting Jesus right. All right, yeah. and then that way you can divorce religion and politics from mm-hmm. your life and go live for me. So that's mm-hmm. my last take on it. Cause I can get fired up about this. Yeah. I know we need to wrap up, but uh, I'm looking forward to next week already. Karan, give us a little taste of what that looks like. Yeah. So what we're trying to do y'all is we're trying to take a big chunk out of this thing and we don't want one person to have to do all the work. Uh, but when we take small bites together, we take a big chunk out because there's more people coming to the party. So what we want to do is give a small bite of encouragement. Like we want to give some simple solutions. So next week, we're just going to be talking about some simple solutions that you can do in your own home with your friends, with your families to start taking out a big piece of this pie. But before y'all mm-hmm. go, I want y'all to go to check out the One Race Movement's website. It's pretty awesome. They did a march on Atlanta and they recorded a live stream. Uh, if you are a pastor or a leader listening to this right now, I encourage you to check out that March on Atlanta live stream 
and go to about uh, the five hour and 28 minute mark uh, to about five hours and 33 minutes and just mm. listen to the, what this young lady had to say about what we can do as pastors and leaders to take a bite out of this thing. So y'all, we'll be back here next week. I'm really encouraged by this conversation and I know it's just going to get better. All right, guys. Thanks so much. God bless you all. We look forward to seeing you next week.